Well, three weeks after that truck convoy rolled into downtown Ottawa, police tonight continued to dismantle what's left what became an entrenched protest. Since then, we've seen blockades in other parts of the country, a state of, of emergency declared in Ontario. The Emergencies Act invoked federally on Monday. And through it all, does anyone remember Aaron O'Toole? He got ousted as conservative leader not that long ago. Um, and of course, the resignation of Ottawa's police chief, Peter Slowly want to take stock of all that's happened and what lessons need to be learned. But it's obviously been a difficult day. Stephanie Carvin is going to join us in just a minute to discuss that. Uh, but seeing scenes like that in your capital city is never easy. Uh, and there's a lot of emotion out there today about what's happened. Uh, I think what we've seen overall really is a bit of a failure of leadership all around uh, from the very get-go. Stephanie Carvin always has a lot of thoughts about this. She's been covering this and watching it since its outset. Uh, she's an associate professor of international relations at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Stephanie, thanks so much. We're going to get to the news very quick, but we have a whole other half hour to chat. So um, just quickly, your assessment of how this has gone today, I guess, you know, it's, it was expected, but uh, the day has finally come. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear to your audience that, you know, I, uh, I'm a national security expert. I'm not an expert in policing tactics, but Right. Um, from what we can see, you know, where, where I'm happy is that we are seeing a lot of the trucks leave and we're seeing them leave as, as I speak. Um, you know, I'm seeing reporters on the ground talking about like how there's kind of in this steady stream of, of trucks that have been convinced to leave for whatever reason, they either see the protest ending, um, I have seen interviews with some of the, the drivers of the trucks, which say that. Uh, or who have said that their uh, insurance is being revoked or that uh, their companies are being targeted and so they have to go. So some of the financial measures uh, that are being invoked under the Emergencies Act, and we have a whole conversation about that, but yeah, the situation yes. on the ground is that we are seeing a lot of those trucks leave, not all, but quite a few, which will make the job of the police easier. The, the issue they're dealing with now is um, clearly a few hundred uh, protesters who seem to want to go down with the fight, and they're fighting it out in front of um, the Chateau Laurier, um, or at least putting up a last stand. So that's where we seem to be, which, you know, given the, sc the, the sc scope of this thing, um, even this morning, is uh, probably pretty good progress. We just have a few more minutes left before the news, but then we'll come back and talk more. But just quickly, in terms of the, the Emergencies Act itself, and I know there's a lot to talk about there, but do you think this day could have happened without it, or was this just a question of, of the policing finally getting it right? That is a that is a question I have not stopped talking about now for a week. Um, <laughs> I, so let me let me say this. So there's a couple of ways of looking at this question. From a pure legal perspective, you have the idea, did, did we actually meet the threshold? And the threshold is whether or not a province could actually handle this by themselves um, or whether the territorial integrity and sovereignty of Canada was jeopardized. I think both of those questions are, are up in the air. Um, the other way of looking at this is, did the government need certain financial, you know, certain tools in order to make this happen. And I would actually argue some of the tools are using, yes, they did actually need to use this legislation in order to get them. So in particular, the financial tools um, that are targeting um, bank accounts, which are, which are very powerful, uh, as well as um, some of the provisions around uh, company licenses and insurance and things like this. So um, are they actually using the tools that they needed that, or they said they needed? Yes. Did it meet the threshold? Uh, maybe we want to get back to that after the news. 
I don't, I don't know. It's, <laughs> we it's can, for sure, dicey. Stephanie. Hold that thought. Uh, we'll be right back with more from Stephanie Carvin. I'm really interested in learning what national security lessons will have been learned from all this um, and what we need to do going forward to make sure we don't see something like this happen again, at least not the way this one unfolded. We'll be back after this. I'm back with Stephanie Carvin, Associate Professor of International Relations at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. She's in Ottawa this evening. We're talking, of course, about all that's unfolded in Ottawa today with police uh, methodically uh, most, for most of the day, clearing away the blockade bit by bit, moving in, setting up uh, checkpoints around uh, the entire area and basically uh, tightening the noose, so to speak, on the blockade itself and moving people out. Um, we were talking a bit about the Emergencies Act before, which is fascinating because when you watch this, you wonder why it took, I mean, I'm not in favor of, of not allowing people to protest, obviously, but it makes you wonder how that it took so long for this to happen because <laughs> it seemed like there were other tools available earlier that may have allowed at least some of this protest to be diffused before this had to happen. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that. I think actually something that's, kind of i don't know it just i just don't understand why this is um like here in ontario premier doug ford really got away with not doing a lot um like no let's be let's be honest he's facing an election um he has a conservative base and i think you know there's a, some popularity of, of this protest among um conservative supporters not all but some uh and we're seeing those divisions in parliament as as we speak so um but there's a lot more the province could have done far earlier. I don't understand why there wasn't more done with regards to, say, um, you know, threats to driver's licenses for those, you know, if you're parked on the Ambassador Bridge, um, you know, you may not have a license in six hours, even six hours to get off. Um, you know, those kinds of things. And um, so I don't, like, there seems to have been, like, one of the things you want in a situation like this, I think, is for it to resolve with the least amount of violence possible. Right. Um, you want it to be something where people are incentivized to leave, that they can understand that they've made their point heard and that it's time to go home. And I think that, you know, using tools like, um, you know, insurance, um, you're, you're, you know, you're you're pro you're not using your car properly if you're using it to block international trade. I mean, I think that pretty much goes without saying um, or, you know, you're same with your driver's license, um, you know, just basic enforcement of the Highway Traffic Act would have probably helped here. So I think there was a lot that could have been done at the provincial level, but there wasn't anything really done. And I think that may have been one of the reasons why the federal government stepped in. But in order for it to step in, it required the use of the Emergencies Act, which is the federal legislation as opposed to the Ontario Emergency Act. So, um, yeah, for that reason, I don't understand why more wasn't done by the, the provinces. Um, it, it, Alberta seems to have solved most of its problems okay, um, you know, good for them. Uh, but there may be another convoy being planned for uh, later this month. So we'll be keeping an eye out on that. And Winnipeg, as you say, uh, they still have a convoy uh, downtown, at least just we heard in the news report. So, you know, not over yet. Um, so we may still need these uh, powers for other parts of the country. But, um, yeah, no, I think we should be raising questions, frankly, uh, about the provinces but and, and definitely also the municipalities. Yes, I mean, clearly in this case, uh, a change of leadership. You don't want to put all the blame on Peter Slowly, the, the chief who resigned. I don't think it was all, I think he was left holding the bag to some extent. But clearly Absolutely. something happened Something happened on Monday and by Tuesday where it changed very quickly. And this all of a sudden became a, a jarringly different 
uh, security situation in downtown Ottawa felt. Yeah, it was. I also, I do, however, think that there was a misreading of this. Now, um, I get a lot of flack from this, so I'll just ready the inbox. Um, but <laughs> the fact is, um, this protest was organized by people with extreme views, right? Um, these are people who have espoused, um, you know, in, in the case of Pat King, white supremacist views, um, conspiratorial worldviews, anti-Semitic views, um, had tried to organize previous convoys of a similar nature before, um, you know, you know, Barber, Chris Barber, who is now on bail, had written a treatise about overthrowing the government and replacing it with a self-appointed uh, citizens commission with the Senate and the governor general, which, you know, if you've taken civics 101, is not really a thing that we do in Canada. So, you know, I mean, these were extremist people. We should not be surprised that they were going to use extremist tactics. And, you know, and it's not like they were hiding what they were going to do. They, they literally said, um, and there were pictures all over the Internet, because I was watching this, they said, we're going to come to Ottawa and basically stay there until, you know, jam it up full of trucks and stay there until the government falls, basically. Um, or at the very least that they revoked the mandates. But, you know, th- there were other goals here, too. So I guess that, you know, there does seem to have been a profound misreading of what this group was, you know, very openly saying. They seem to have treated it like it was a normal everyday protest, even when it was like, I don't think it could have been more clear about what it was intending to do. So uh, that's a very weird thing. And, you know, I was, I commented in the story for the reporter Justin Ling yesterday, which is featured in the UK newspaper, The Guardian. And he saw some of the intelligence briefings that were out there. And yeah, no, I mean, we all, they knew um, so why was this allowed to happen? And why did the, all the different levels of government play jurisdictional hot potato with it? And why did it take the Emergencies Act to fix? I mean, these are huge questions that we're going to be grappling with for, for weeks, if not decades. We did speak earlier this week to the former um, Ottawa Police Chief Charles Bordelot, who said it was one of those, he thought, it was one of those situations where they had had so many of these protests over the years that had just come and gone that they just figured this one would come and go. Um, and that, you're right, was a complete misreading of it. And, and that that always leads me, because this has been an interesting question all along, this idea that somehow, uh, and I, I'm not, I've not been a big fan of the Prime Minister's performance during this whole episode. Um, you know, I do think he used overly divis- divisive language at the beginning, uh, but it's not like he was going to walk out the door and, and who was he going to negotiate with? And what, I mean, this wasn't yeah. about mandates. It, it was never about mandates. If they had rescinded the mandates like Jason Kenney did, that didn't stop the the uh, the blockade in Coots. Um, if, even if he had rescinded the mandates, I don't think that protest would have gone anywhere. And the conservatives have talked about, well, you know, you, there's no way this should have ever happened. I didn't see any solutions from the conservatives about how to end this other than asking them to leave and no one was listening to them. So fr- from that perspective, I, I just wonder from, we're going to have a lot of lessons to learn about this one. What do you think the primary one is about about the blockades and what happened in Ottawa, what's happening in Ottawa? So my big takeaway from this is that I think we're spending a lot of time focusing on the Emergencies Act and whether or not it was, it is, it is the right tool to have used. And I actually think that's not the hard part. The hard part is going to be trying to figure out what the drivers of this movement were and understanding what the government failures are and then trying to fix that. Because I think you're right. I mean, I am just, I I feel like almost like I have whiplash from like the levels of failure 
at every single level of government as an Ottawa resident. Um, you know, to see my city council erupt into a civil war about the policing um, you know, oversight board at a time when we're in, you know, Ottawa is arguably it's in its greatest crisis. Um, to see the province basically do nothing, to see the prime minister kind of be absent for a lot of this and then kind of make some speeches, which, you know, some people found divisive and things like this. Um, yeah, I'm I'm how do we rebuild from this and how do we I mean, this is going to be unpopular, I think, when I say this, but there's a lot of people in this movement who, for whatever reason, feel marginalized. And we can have a whole conversation about whether or not that's legitimate or perceived or or whatever. The fact is they feel this way. So how do you bring these people back to normal politics where they don't feel that the answer is sitting in a truck for three weeks um, and honking horns and tormenting residents? Like, how do we bring them back and make them feel um, like they can have, you know, how do, how do we just bring them back? And I mean, some people would say, well, I don't want them back. They're anti-vaxxers and they're, and they're mean and they're bullied. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that just simply we won't be able to bring back, but there's a good number of them we can't. And I, I think we need to try and do that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, th- I think what we've seen is, and, and there is legitimate anger out in this country. There are legitimately people who feel like they've been left out. They're not part of whatever they perceive to be that conversation going on that's running this country, you know, sort of big city, urban conversation that's going on. They feel left out of it and aggrieved. And and I think we understand that. And we've seen it be taken advantage of by, you know, the People's Party in the States, obviously by uh, different different groups. I guess what you want, and, and in this case too, I mean, there were certainly a lot of grifters hanging out, taking advantage of of the people that were there to to better to raise their own popularity, for instance, to you know Ray, get more hits on their YouTube channel or their Facebook page. Uh, we we saw a lot of that. I always felt, what if you had taken all their phones away on day one? Then then what would have happened? They would have been gone in a few days, I think. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's going to yeah, be very no, difficult. I think, I, to, yeah, I, so go ahead. Yeah, and I was going to say, yeah, absolutely, it's true. And like, I guess the other thing I worry about is, um, you know, I made the argument and. You know, again, inboxes at the ready for the complaints, but um, that this was an extremist driven movement um, that, you know, framed itself around the very legitimate grievances that many people felt after two years of a pandemic. Right. Um, But the other thing, there's a third piece here, which is that there are also extremist movements, as you're saying, who, who, you know, like the kind of grifters, but these guys are also trying to network into this movement. Right. And I worry that people who are unhappy about how this has been resolved that they've spent three weeks networking with each other. They know each other. They Have they radicalized together? Will they radicalize further? And does this actually heighten the risk of further political violence in the future? And this is, I guess, why I just think we need to sit down and think about, you know, how we govern our cities, how we think about our communities, and how we bring people back when they've kind of gone so far. Um, because we can't afford to have, 20% of the population engaged in this kind of stuff. Like you just can't have a society that way. We've seen what happens when this, ha- you know, that occurs in America um, and, and all the problems they're kind of having right now. So that's, you know, it's, it's kind of a hybrid, I guess, concern somewhere between social studies and national security. But I yeah. think th- these are going to be the hard questions we're going to be asking ourselves in, in six months. It's always nice to have Stephanie Carvin on. So we decided to keep her for a little while longer. Thanks so much for sticking with us tonight, Stephanie. Hey, it's always an honor to be on. 
I had a I had a question for you because you've been around the world, so to speak, without living leaving your room, I suspect. But you really had uh, been doing interviews for for news organizations right around the planet who've been interested in this. I'm really curious what kind of questions you're getting. What's people outside of Canada's perception of what's been going on here? I think, well, they can see the images and really they're just like, how did this happen? Um, you know, um, <laughs> European capitals are used to giant protests, right? Um, and and I think there's just some some questions as to why no one did anything about it um, and try to explain <laughs> the levels of government and things. But the other thing I was trying to explain is, you know, people... I think the biggest misperception of this is that people are like, oh, it's just angry truckers and things like this. I'm like, no, this is like a really uh, different story. And, and you have to kind of understand who, who's the organizing forces here and who they attracted and why and what's going on. Um, so there was that angle. And then I guess the other thing that I was trying to really impress onto people was the fact is that Ottawa is actually a really small city. It's not, you know, it, it's kind of geographically spread out, but at its heart, you know, it just hit a million people this year. Um, in the downtown core, people live like downtown. They live, you know, um, about five minutes from Parliament Hill. They were in the middle of this, right? I have students who were affected by this who had to leave downtown and have effectively kind of um, been away from their homes for, for two weeks because of, of what's happening. So, I think really those three things is just trying to explain that, you know, I, I mean, I always describe Ottawa as a small town with an international airport, um, which <laughs> I kind of like because, yeah, yeah, it's true. It's like, you know, you can kind of get out if you need to. Um, but, but you know, it, it has that kind of smaller town feel. You often will walk down the street and run into someone you know. I like that. Um, but, yeah, so I think that's between that and then just exp- explaining, like, how did this happen and why did you do it? It's pretty basic questions, I think, that 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 that's there. I lived in Ottawa for a long time. My mom's still there, uh, off off Preston in Little Italy. She's not hasn't been there of late. She's actually out in BC. But uh, yeah, Ottawa. One of the things that that I, I guess we needed to impress on other Canadians was that where these trucks were parked, they weren't they weren't making the lives of 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 you know. Embassy Row and Rockcliffe and big mansions out in the burbs, they weren't making those people miserable. They're making little shop owners who rely on Parliament for their living, like hairdressers and bars and sandwich shops. And they're relying on a lot of people who live down in that area, which are generally, as you mentioned, students, people on, like, it's not, this is not a really expensive part of Ottawa. These are essentially all just working folk and students, a bit like the people they are meant to be protesting on behalf of, which is sort of yeah. ironic because they could have just driven their trucks to Rockcliffe and gotten some real attention, which is the rich part of exactly. town. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine the rock that had happened. <laughs> I mean, international incidents, all that. But that's exactly the point. Like, it's small. You know, if you go to Byward Market, um, it, it really is, you know, you don't have a lot of change there. It's all really kind of local small restaurants. Um, you know, uh, the place I get my shoes repaired is downtown by this awesome guy um, who is just always so friendly. And I just love to go. I, sometimes I'm happy when my shoes break because I get to see him. <laughs> um, you know, like it's, it really is like, yeah, it has that small town. When I, when I say small town international airport i mean it (laughs) it has that kind of downtown really does you know it's weird because it's a a, it is a city of bureaucrats but that doesn't mean everyone affected by this were were bureaucrats i talked to 
you know, a, a friend of mine's a restaurant owner and, and just the stress that he's had is, he's, you know, he doesn't know if he can open or, or close on any day and he has to pay, you know, he's trying to pay his staff to keep them. Um, the Rito Center, which, you know, just pays minimum wage workers a lot, is has been closed for three weeks. They These are people who have absolutely no compensation whatsoever. Um, and And I don't know if that was the point of the convoy right that kind of cruelty just to kind of everyday canadians to make this point um because it it really wasn't fair to them um i'm you know we can have a talk about disruptive protest i'm all you know you have to have you know if if your protest isn't disruptive it's not going to get attention and you know a friend of mine michael nesbitt who's a professor at the university of calgary put it to me like this he said you know the thing about protests is that they're 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 meant to convince. You're trying to convince people. But the problem with the occupation is that it has shifted from convincing and moved to compelling. It's now trying to compel the government by effectively taking a city hostage. And that I think is the difference here. It's like no one's saying you can't have free speech. If these guys decided to have a march up on Parliament Hill without their trucks every week for the rest of the pandemic, I, I don't think anyone would would necessarily have a problem with that. I mean, they'd still do yoga on the hill, so maybe that would have been interrupting that. But, I mean, I don't think that would have been the problem. Um, you have the right to say that you don't want a vaccine. You have a right to say that um, you don't like mandates. I think that's absolutely fundamentally true. It's just at some point when you're taking out your frustration on people earning minimum wage or a small business owner, uh, with small business owners, pretty much the entire downtown, it, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, I I was always expecting them to turn around and realize that the people they were mad at weren't the people that they were annoying, or weren't the people who was, forget annoying, whose lives they were making miserable. So in that sense, it was high time they all went home. So I'm happy that this has happened. It's unfortunate to see police on the streets of the capital. I mean, I've been through protests in places like Istanbul and and Bangkok and and Moscow, where this would have ended a lot faster and a, and a lot less pleasantly. Um, and I'm glad we didn't see that. Even here, Paris, uh, you know, they just did not yes, take it. Yeah. You know, they just did no, not. No, um, no. I think that's true. It, but yeah, Stephanie Carvin, yeah, we, so, we're running out of time, but um, unfortunately, because it's always great to speak to you. I look forward to speaking to you again when this is all calmed down a bit. And I uh, will be looking for you um, on other news stations around the world. Again, I'm sure you'll get some more <laughs> phone calls as this is all unwinding. But thank you so much for staying up late tonight for us. I know it's chilly there, but I wish you a nice uh, holiday long weekend as well. Yeah, we're looking for some peace and quiet. Like, you know, make Ottawa boring again. That's, <laughs> that's the slogan. That's what we want. <laughs> All right, Stephanie Carver, <laughs> thanks so future. much. Thank you. Exactly.